Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelong Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fae encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hi, humans. If you follow this podcast on Follow the Woo social or my personal social accounts, you know that I have been down for the count and I had to miss posting last week. Ugh. I really can't stand missing a week because I'm a Capricorn. I'm so sorry I missed last week. I really struggled with making that decision. But, you know, that's part of the learning process, right? Especially for Capricorns and people who are used to high productivity, which is a lot of us, not just Capricorns, especially in America, where we value and we prioritize productivity over our self-care and over our health. And I just kind of got the block from my partner and from my parents saying, you just can't post, okay? Also, I don't know if it'd be the best idea for me to post on Dilaudid. <laughs> That's some very serious shit. So there's that. I will do my very best to make it up to you in the coming weeks. I had a major back surgery and was in the hospital and on loads of drugs for six days. I'm still on major drugs, but I'm out of the hospital. I'm on far fewer drugs, though, which is much better. I'm actually coherent and able to string together sentences. So things should be much more consistent from here on out. So this week is the start of another two-part episode with the incomparable Marianne Coleman. She is a New Zealand native and a spiritual sensitive, an artist, an illustrator, and host and producer of the podcast Walking the Shadowlands, which you should definitely subscribe to because it's awesome. Walking the Shadowlands is also about the world. She primarily focuses on cryptozoology, UFOs, abductions, cattle mutilations, black-eyed kids, and near-death experiences. All things that are so interesting I could explode. And I just about did during our over two-hour talk. It was almost three hours. I wanted to talk to her for hours more, and maybe someday she'll let me so I can get some more of the nitty-gritty details about her direct and consistent experiences with aliens or who she lovingly calls star people. In part one, Marianne talks about her earliest alien abduction experiences, which started when she was a wee baby. What's so compelling about so many of these experiences is how many witnesses were there. And you'll actually find that to be true in part two of this interview as well. So make sure you tune in next week. We also briefly discuss another direct experience she had with the men in black. That's right, listeners. In case you didn't know, the huge movie, The Men in Black, starring Will Smith, was actually based on thousands of accounts of people experiencing very intimidating, pale-faced men in black suits and hats who allegedly visit people who have direct experiences with UFOs. In some cases, they've also shown up at the homes of prominent researchers of extraterrestrial activity. Let me just go down a tiny rabbit hole here before we continue. Even Dan Aykroyd had an alleged MIB experience after he tried to launch the show Out There which covered many paranormal topics, including extraterrestrials, of course. 
I'm a little late to the party on this one, but as far as I know, his show was canceled before it even really got started. And that was within two hours of his direct sighting of two men in black. Essentially, he says, you know, he's on the phone with Britney Spears talking about being on SNL together. And he looks over while he's still on the phone and sees the black car and two men in the men in black get up the black suits and one very large one gets out of the car and gives him a dirty look. He goes back to talking to Britney Spears because he doesn't want to leave the queen waiting. And when he turns back less than, I think he says like 40 seconds later, the car is gone. The men are gone. And he's just like, there's just no way you could do a U-turn or go down that alley or wherever he was. I believe it was in New York City and it just was impossible for that car to disappear that quickly. And so, again, two hours later, that show was canceled and it never aired. I didn't know this. Like I said, I'm late to the party. But just a heads up that I am investigating this topic further and trying to source the best experts and experiencers. Anyway, I digress. Back to another queen, Marianne Coleman. We also discuss what some of the star people she's worked with look like and her incredible Facebook group where she helps thousands of people go through their own spiritual awakenings. As far as I understand, Marianne's central mission is to help others with their spiritual awakenings, which she says are happening more rapidly in recent years. If you feel like things have been spiritually bajiggity lately for you, or you're just feeling like you want some confirmation from a sensitive who can speak to spirits who've crossed over, I highly encourage you to join this group. Just like the podcast, it's also called Walking the Shadowlands, but you do need permission. It is a private group, and it is closely monitored because so many sensitive topics are discussed. But I need to stop talking so we can get into the actual interview. We're going to pop right into our conversation. This will be right where Marianne is talking about the thinning veils to different dimensions, which I think feels very appropriate and very woo. Okay, onward. The thing at the moment is that for the past couple of years, the veils, the barrier between dimensional realities has been thinning, buckling and tearing in places. And it's part and parcel of the changes that our planet is going through. She's going through her own growth and her own development. This planet we live on, think of it like an onion and the earth being the very core of the onion and outside of that onion multiple layers multiple layers that build up the onion and that's the other dimensions of reality that exist around our planet so the layers of the onion are the, these different sort of realities or dimensions yeah and each layer of the onion has a little membrane between it, which is the veil that separates us from that reality. So are you saying that over time, these layers are actually peeling away and so it's becoming more integrated? Yes. Got it. Yes. Yeah, that's very interesting. And a lot of people that I've spoken with have different ways of explaining that process. But if you think about it, everybody's kind of saying the same thing. You can find a connectedness among those narratives, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. So I want to talk about pretty much everything with you, but I want to start with the beginning of your path, like how young you were when you had an esoteric or spiritual experience that was profound enough for you to think, eh. 
I might be a little different. Well, that was when I was around three years old. And my father was a share milker, which is kind of like a farmer who shares um, milking with another farmer. That's kind of a rough way of describing it. And we lived out in the country now in New Zealand in those days. We're talking about around 59. That gives you an idea of my age. Around last century, last millennia even. So we lived on this farm. And in the country in those days, most roads were gravel or dirt. And I don't know where we had been, but there was my mum and dad in my car, my half-sister, my older sister and myself. My other two sisters were older than me and I was the youngest. And we were coming home, I don't know whether we'd been to get the groceries, but it was dark. So it was probably winter, I would say, because they wouldn't have us out late at night. And it gets dark really early, five or six, sometimes earlier here in New Zealand in the winter, depending where you live. And we were going along the road and this car was bright, bright, lights was behind us now this was unusual because you know it's a country road it's not often you see cars and mum and dad were saying oh geez that car's got its lights on full it's so bright and anyway they just flicked up their rear vision mirror so it didn't blind them and just continued on and I was excited because I knew something was up I could feel it And we got to the turn-off where we go to our farm and we turned left. And as we were about to turn this light that was behind us rose vertically into the sky. And that's when mum and dad realised, oh, this wasn't a car. This was something unusual. And so they they turned off to go to our farm. They turned off to the drive and they only went, you know, maybe a couple of hundred yards, not very far. And there was a gate. They had to get out to open the gate. Well, as soon as we stopped the car for mum to get out to open the gate for dad, this light shot down from the sky and surrounded the car. It was a bright white light, like you see in movies, exactly like you see in the movies where the UFO shoots this light down from the sky. And mum and dad were panicking. Dad was saying, Dad, go and open the gate so we can go inside. And mum was saying, ah, Leo, I'm not getting out of this car. You go and open the gate. And my sisters were crying. And I was excited because I could feel what was about to happen. And I knew it was my friends. I already knew at that age. And then in this white light, I could see these humanoid forms just moving around in the light. They were tall, you know, head, shoulders, arms. You could see them moving around, couldn't actually see any features, just the outline shape of them. I don't know how many were around the car. And that's the last thing I remember of that incident. Okay. Two sisters weren't there, but you had one blood sister and then one half sister, right? Yeah. How old were they? They were older than me. My half sister's 10 years older than me. So uh, she would have been about 13. So Um, those two were freaking out too with your parents? Yeah. Yeah. I was the only one that was excited and not upset because I I knew them. I recognized the energy. I knew they were friends. Wow. And has your family addressed this? Or I know a lot of families brush this stuff under the rug and they never want to talk about it. What did your family do? Well, my mum and dad are both dead now. And my sister, my half-sister, she's dead as well. But her and I used to talk about it. Dad had his own UFO experiences during the war, and we could talk about it. We, we talked about UFOs quite openly in our family because as a family, we'd experience them quite often. Just sightings, not 
close-up encounters like I had. They didn't remember seeing the figures in the light. They remember the light, but they don't remember seeing the figures. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask if they also had the exact same experience as you. So they saw the light and they knew it was weird. It was not like a, it wasn't a car. We knew that. It was something coming from above. Yes. But you actually saw, were they kind of floating in the light or how do you remember it? I remember them as moving, like somebody walking past the window mm-hmm. and around the car. What did they look like? When I talk to people who haven't experienced, they automatically go to, it looks like a gray alien. I never saw any features. I only saw like a silhouette in the light. I'll tell you the reason I recognize the energy is because I had an experience that I recall when I was 18 months old. I remember it. It was like, so I had a base memory. So I would recognize them when I saw them again. So my parents had put me to bed. It was night. Well, it was night for me. And I remember being outside, looking at the stars, crying. One, because I was scared I was outside. And two, because I wanted to be in the stars. They had just dropped me off. And I was crying and my parents couldn't find me. They couldn't understand. They could hear me crying, but I disappeared from my cot. And they found me outside. Wait, 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 wait. So... Where are you? My memory is being outside, crying because I was looking at the stars. I wanted to be back in the stars. But at the same time, I was scared because I was outside and I didn't know how to get inside. I'm so sorry if I'm not following this. Were you having like an astral projection no. sort of feeling or you were really outside as an 18 really. That's where my parents found me. They found me outside of the locked house. Where? Just like in a garden? Where were in you? The, in, in the front of the house on the lawn. As an 18-month-old, you were just chilling there in the middle of the night. Yeah. Wow. And your parents told you about this. I remember it. And they and they they remembered it as well. And they corroborated it. Yeah. So what did they think? I don't know. (laughs) That's all I remember of that. But I know that they impressed on me that I would remember that so that when I saw them later, I would recognize the energies. Mm. That's why I was so excited when I was three. I knew who it was. Right. You had such an early kind of seed planted Mm. when you were so young, three years old. I think most three-year-olds, if they saw something like that, would probably be scared. Mm. But it triggered that feeling of craving to go back to the stars almost is what it sounds like. Yes, 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 absolutely. Interesting. And so then what's the next time you had an experience with them? All through my life, all through my childhood, I have had memories of being in the best thing that I can describe it as is a learning situation like a classroom where they are teaching me things they take me onto their ship physically and I'm being taught stuff I'm in groups with other children my age and they're teaching me things they're teaching me the importance of sound and vibration the importance of intent things like that And I recall doing sort of exercises where I'd move things with my mind. They'd get me to move things with my mind. Can't do it here, but I could do it on the ship. And as I grew over the years, until I hit puberty, when I was in these learning situations, it was always with children around my own age. Then I hit puberty and I don't have a lot of memories. And part of the reason for that is because it's difficult enough going through puberty as it is. So they don't want you to have to deal with the trauma 
of trying to associate these star people visitations and being hormonal at the same time. It's just too much to expect a kid to to deal with. So I don't have a lot of memories from from that period. And then it picks up again, probably when I'm in my late teens, early 20s. You feel like you're actually going physically. Again, it's not an astral projection experience where they're kind of putting you in a sleep paralysis and you're like, hey, new reality. You feel like you definitely went physically. Was it in the middle of the night that usually happened or was there any Um, pattern? There was one time when it was during the day and this experience happened, I think I was probably five or six because I was at home from school. And we lived in a small central town in New Zealand called Palmston North. Now, where I lived, my father had a business. We lived in an industrial area. So there was factories all around us. Factories in those days, we like factories these days. They're only like small mum and pop businesses. And there was an ice cream factory across the road from where we lived called Frosty Jack Ice Cream. Now, every Friday, they would clean their freezers out, put the ice in the middle of the road for it to melt. Because they couldn't do stuff like that these days. That's Mm -mm. just, you know. But (laughs) in those days, it was acceptable to do that. And I remember I used to love watching when they did that because sometimes they would give me an ice lolly. The road wasn't, you know, it was only like 10 feet or something. It wasn't a very big road. It was just a small road. Anyway, one morning I was home and I must have had an ear infection because my ears were hurting. And I was outside playing. I had my toys in this wooden box and it was early winter. So it was a little bit frosty outside. It was a little bit cold. And I suddenly could hear this loud, perched, whirring noise. And it really was hurting my ears. It was altering the pressure in my ears. And I looked up at the people at Frosty Jack, and it must have been morning tea because they were all outside with their cups of tea and coffee, um, leaning against the ice, and they were all like this, pointing up at the sky animatedly. And I looked up, and descending over our house was a classic UFO classic saucer shaped you so you could see the lights whirring around the bottom but the pressure and the whirring noise got louder and louder as it descended in fact it was so loud that it brought my mum out of the house where she was doing housework of some description and she said what on earth is that noise and she looked up and saw the UFO as well that's all I recall at that point in time however there's much more to the story it lowered down I don't know how high it was above our property it was above our house but it was as wide as our property was it was massive so it must have been pretty low I don't know how I would judge the height anyway it was there for a while and then it just shot up uh, vertically and disappeared in a fraction of a second And everybody stood there talking about it for a while, and then they went off. The next day, we had a visit from the men in black. Really? Yeah. Now, there's a bit more to that story. It wasn't until I was in my early 30s and I needed to remember there was more that happened to that UFO experience. What happened was this blue light came down and engulfed me and took me up into the ship. And I had an experience with these beings, and they helped heal me and they said to me Mary you won't remember this visit until you need to remember it you'll forget all about it until you need to remember and I said I don't want to forget I don't want to go back I want to stay with you I don't like it where I am I wanted to be with them because it was just unconditional love I got from them and they said no you have to go back so they put me back and I forgot completely forgot and the next day 
you know, kids like to run and open the door for somebody's at the door. They get mm-hmm. all excited. And we had this big hallway and there was a knock at the door. I don't know what time of day it was. And I ran to open it. I ran. I beat my siblings that were younger and weren't at school to the door. And I was about to open it. Mum opened it. And standing on the doorstep was one man facing us, classic man in black, fedora hat, suit, tie, glasses, very, very pale skin. Behind him and standing side on at the bottom of the step was another one, dressed exactly the same. And out at the gate, which was only a few feet away, was this really fancy sedan car with a running board. And there was another chap standing there with a foot on the running board. And I remember mum immediately started shaking. The energy that came off these guys terrified her. And she grabbed me and pulled me behind her and I could feel her shaking as she was holding me behind her and holding the others back so they wouldn't come close. And these men said to her over and over and over, they said to her, you'll forget what you saw yesterday if you know what's good for you, if you know what's good for your children, you won't remember this, you'll forget, you'll forget, you'll forget. Basically, they kind of hypnotized her pretty much into forgetting. And the guy behind the one that was facing my mum said, what about the kid referring to me? And He replied, oh, she won't remember she's too young. Well, nobody ever told me what I could and could not remember or could and could not do. And they kept reiterating to mum, don't talk about it, don't talk about it, you won't talk about it. So I determined in my young mind at that age that I would talk about it every opportunity I got. And I would never forget it and I never did. Mum didn't remember. And It wasn't until I went to live in the States in the early 2000s that I went to visit mum. And I said to her, mum, do you remember when we had the men in black visit? And she said, what are you talking about? We never had a man in black visit. And I said, do you remember that day that the UFO came down over our house? And she said, yes. And then all of a sudden, she remembered. She said, oh my God, how could I have forgotten that? How could I have forgotten that? And she reiterated what had happened from her perspective so it wasn't until I was talking about it that she recalled it so many years later was anybody else home that day that the men in black came besides you your siblings and your mother was your father there no no he was away on a business trip and mum was only young she was only in her 20s so she was very intimidated and I remember when they left she slammed the door on them and went and sat down and she was physically shaking she tried to light a cigarette and she dropped a lighter she was shaking that much really intimidated and she was a young kid you know in her 20s and she had these children to take care of you know her husband wasn't around have you since then encountered the men in black no no you have an amazing podcast have you talked to a lot of people who have experienced the men in black yet? I've talked to some. I did an episode on them in my first season, and I didn't actually really have guests on at that stage because I was still finding my feet and discovering how to find people to be guests. But I did have experiences that people had shared on other forums, and I wrote and asked their permission to use their experiences. I would really love to hear more about them. That is an incredible story. So your father had no men in black encounter at all, and you didn't tell him or anything and say, hey, dad. I don't remember. I don't remember. remember. You were really young. I was really young. But that kind of gave you the spitfire almost. You were like, who are these knuckleheads? I'm going to do the opposite of what they say. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it felt like that was a a poignant spot in your path. Uh, Absolutely was. Yeah. 
So then you go through a number of experiences until you get to preteen area. And then after that, it starts to pick up again, like 17, 18. Probably about 18-ish they start again. But also at, at around that time is when I really started with Earth you know, like my physical abilities started to come to the fore. All of this time that I'd been working with star people, I'd also seen Earth Spirit. So I believe that what the star people were teaching me, and I call them star people because as a child, they were people that came from the stars. So it just was a no-brainer for me to call them star people. And that's what I've called them ever since. I, I believe that part of what they were teaching me to access these innate abilities that every human has, has enhanced my ability as a spiritual sensitive. Yes, that's where I was going to go next. So you identify as a spiritual sensitive. What does it mean to be a spiritual sensitive? And when did that click for you? When did you start feeling like, okay, I need to use what they've been teaching me in the real world? Really, I owned who I was in my early 30s. That was when I said, oh, look, this is who I am. I can't deny it any longer. I mean, up until then, I'd been using my abilities the whole time, but not in a formalized way. You know, like I'd listened to my intuition. As a nurse, when I was nursing, it saved a lot of people's lives. And I always knew when a patient was going to have a reaction to something or something like that, my intuition would let me know. And so I was always prepared for that. So I was always listening to my intuition and listening to spirit, but it scared me at the same time because I was brought up in a family that where we had religion forced down our, our throats. And so I had to get over this very human conditioning that had been placed in me, fear of spirit being evil. And, you know, I had to, I had to work through all those fears before mm. I could totally accept who I was. And it wasn't until I shook that that crap off that I was able to acknowledge this is who I am this is who I've always been let's live my true self so 18 19 you start to have some more experiences I'm just trying to get like a little bit of a timeline here then you go into nursing I started nursing when I was 17 in New Zealand at that stage we had on-the-job training and it was very British you had to live in a nurse's home unless you were married and had permission to live out. It was run like the military, pretty much. So they had these wonderful nurses' homes where you lived. They gave us three wonderful meals a day. They looked after us, looked after our virtue, had curfews. They'd check the rooms at night to make sure we were all in there where, unless we were on shift, you know. They took girls from the age of 17 was when you could start nursing, and you trained on the job. You'd go to classes and you'd work full time. So you went into nursing and that turns into your career, right? For much of your, yeah. Yeah. And and are you retired from nursing now? Yeah, I had to retire because I had a work-related injury that hurt my back and it wasn't from lifting actually. Uh, It's a bit gross. The old lady was confused because I used to work night shift from 11pm to 7am and the woman called me into this four-bedroom unit and there was this old lady and she was confused as some old people get when they're in hospital and she was standing up and she was about to take a fall so I ran to grab her but what I didn't see was that she had peed on the floor and I slipped and fell on And I was nine weeks pregnant, so they couldn't do any x-rays or anything. And so by the time my baby was born, the damage to my back was irreversible. 
may I ask what age you were when that happened? I was 30. 30. That's why I asked because it was in your mid 30s. You were like, okay, that nursing's out of the way now because you can't do it. So it almost left a space for this stuff to be more prominent in your life. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's often the way it is for people. There's often some event that will happen in their life that will cause them to reflect and think and get rid of old ideas, old thought patterns, old hurts and pain that no longer is useful to who they are becoming. And you you, you would have never guessed that it was slipping in pee. No, <laughs> I mean, no, no. How random. Do you talk openly with family about this life that you live? And when did that start? And were they freaked out about it? I've always been open about the fact that I'm spiritual. I've always talked about my gut feelings. I've never hidden that from my children. I told them things age appropriate. I wasn't going to put my belief systems onto them. I let them choose their own path because that's how it should be and as they got older I talked about my star people experiences because we had experiences in the home that my children shared. That was my next question actually did they start experiencing things because sometimes this does end up being I don't know if I would use the word hereditary but it almost feels like that like oh grandma had that and then mom had that. That's correct very often the star people follow families through generations through reincarnation generations they'll follow specific members in that family lineage down the line. You didn't start your podcast right away. What did you start in your mid-30s? In my mid-30s, I just really came into myself. I acknowledged my spiritual abilities. I acknowledged that I have these gifts that can help people to bring them closure, to help with their healing, to help with their grieving process. It's always been my path to help people, to help heal in one way or another when I could no longer physically heal because my back was so bad I'd be on duty. Like I, I didn't stop working. I, like I had my baby and then I went back to work, but I was always in so much pain. And finally, I got to the stage when the last area of nursing I was working at was cardiothoracic and vascular surgery post-op. And... I would be on duty for half an hour and I'd be in tears because my back would be hurting me so much. And that was when I realized I I can't do this any longer. I have to quit it. And that was a real wrench because it was a job I loved because I knew that I was making a positive difference in people's lives. And it's always important for me to be able to do that. Part of my life's learning and my life's experiences with my star people have taught me how important it is to look after other people, the planet, other people around us. So I kind of felt lost for a while because I wasn't able to to do what I wanted to do. It was actually a difficult time for me because I had to marry my loss of my career, which I loved, with emotions and realizations about myself and my truth and who I am and shake off the fear. And I had postnatal depression at the time as well. It was an absolutely horrific time horrific and I went through it by myself and I made up my mind there and then that I would never if I could help it let anybody 
have to go through an awakening alone. So that was one of the reasons I started my Facebook group, so that I could help people with questions that they have, help people not to feel so alone, that they're not going through these things by themselves, that there have been other people who've gone through it and come out the other end okay. Thank you for being so vulnerable, because I think the listeners will really feel that and relate to that. Your intention for the Facebook group, which was created long before the podcast, has such a good, pure intention. You were really like, that was such an uncomfortable process that I want to help other people know that they're not alone, that you can get through this. Would you say it's just 10, 20, 30 times better on the other side? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, gosh, yes. It it was probably one of the hardest times of my life. And it's a process that everybody goes through at different stages in their life. When you're going from one level of learning to another level, everybody goes through this. And it's almost always a painful period. There's very few people I know who go through this and don't experience pain because the spirit puts you in situations that brings up old feelings, old hurts, old pains that you have to face, deal with and get rid of out of your life. It's like a cleansing process. And for some people, it can be incredibly painful. For some people, it can cause them to have psychiatric disorders because it can be incredibly, incredibly intense for people. And the part that's so intense is what you're calling an awakening, the awakening to your most true self. Is that what you mean? Yes, yes. Which inevitably has a spiritual component because of who we are. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. What happened was I started the Facebook group and I thought, oh, well, I can do consultations with people on the group that doesn't cost them anything and gives them help and direction. And part of the thing when I do consultations with people is I never tell them what they want to hear. I tell them what spirit tells me to tell them. And I'm always straight up and honest. I've learned over the years that you can't tiptoe around things. You have to say it as you're given it. An example of this was I had a chap come to me for a consultation one time. He was older than me. He would have been in his 70s maybe. And his mum was immediately there with me. And she said to me, tell him he's a fuckwit. I I said, what? I can't tell him that. I can't say that to him you know, and she said, you tell him those exact words. And I looked at him, I said, I'm really sorry, I've got your mum here. And she says, you're a fuckwit. And he burst out crying and I felt so bad. (laughs) He cried for a good five minutes. And he said, thank you. That's exactly what I needed to hear and exactly what she would have said to me. Wow. And it's wow. like, that was that point when I realized I have to say what they tell me verbatim. I can't catch it and make it sound sweet and nice and pretty so I don't hurt their feelings. Sometimes that's what they need to hear. Exactly. I'm interested just why you choose spiritual sensitive as opposed to medium, because it sounds like the story you just told was a stereotypical medium encounter. Because that's only a part of who I am. I'm clairsentient, which means I feel things. I'm claircognizant, which means I just have a knowing. I just know what this person needs to hear. Spirit doesn't have to tell me. They do most of the time, but it's also I just have this inner knowing and I'm clairvoyant, which means I see things that can come to pass. It's a whole combination of things. And being a medium seeing spirit is just 
part of that. It's just a part. Mm. It's not the whole of it. That term itself is almost limiting, especially now with the different mediums that are out there. There's a lot that are just total frauds. And it's upsetting that they abuse that because it gives a bad rap to all the legitimate ones who actually have cultivated skills. It really does. The thing is, every single person in this world has these abilities to one degree or another. It's just like athletes, you know, you get people who can naturally run marathons and me, I can barely run 20 feet, you know. Some people are naturally better at it than others are, but everybody has it to one degree or another, whether you want to call it gut feelings, intuition, whatever you want to call it, people have it. And it's really what degree they're closing that off from themselves, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't acknowledge it. I have a lot of academic friends in my life and they tend to use academia as a shield to a lot of this. Absolutely. Yeah. Intellectualize it away. Yeah, exactly. So star people, when you start going physically into their, are we calling them ships? Yes. What do they look like? What do they sound like? Tell me about them. Well, I've seen numerous, numerous different varieties of star people. Universal language they use is telepathy. That's what I hear across the board. So you just said there's different ones. So when you go up, it's kind of a crapshoot. You don't know who's going to be up there, right? And are you ever startled? Like, oh, there's a new one, you know, or is it just... Yes. Comfortable. Yes, actually, <laughs> actually, there was one experience that my son shared. This one night, I woke. I was woken from a sound sleep. And there was this bright light in my hall, bright, bright, bright light. And out of this light came these beans, and they surrounded my bed. And there was a whole group of them, and they were different, different beings. They were all different physically, and there was one that was a reptilian one. I'd never consciously seen a reptilian being until that point in time. And honestly, he scared me because he kind of smiled. And all I could see was these sharp teeth. And I thought, oh, my God, he's going to eat me. That was my human (laughs) thought. That was my first human thought. And they were saying to me, no, Marianne. I was getting these impressions from all the others. No, Marianne, he's okay. He's not going to harm you. He's not going to hurt you. He's a friend. He's okay. And actually, he was lovely. Absolutely. Once I got over my initial human fright and I allowed myself to feel his energies, not just the visual thing, then I I felt he was a lovely, wise, loving being really nice anyway I had that experience and they were around my bed and they were talking to me and then I don't remember any more after that I don't remember what they were talking to me about apart from that the next morning my son comes to me and says mum mum I saw a walkie in my room last night I said what are you talking about son he said well I was up reading I was supposed to be asleep but I was up reading with my torch and this walkie poked his head around my door waved at me and then went off a wookie so how did you translate that so one thing that some star people especially ones that don't look like us can do is they can mask what they look like so they can appear less terrifying And Michael liked Star Wars, and the Wookiee was a friendly character, so he saw him as a (laughs) Wookiee. That's cute. So he's over 30 years old, and he's never, ever forgotten that. Has he had any other experiences? 
Now, interesting. So it was almost like a tail end of what you experienced that night. Yeah. Phew. My mind is blown. Full disclosure, I did not sleep well after editing this two-part episode interview. My imagination got the best of me and visions of various star people and the creepy MIB guys crept into my dreams. And I was definitely cuddling my partner just a little bit more closely. We especially talk about fear in the second part of this interview with Marianne. I left you with a bit of a cliffhanger, I know, but before you know it, we'll be on to part two and digging further into the wooery of the Shadowlands with Marianne. While you're waiting, though, for part two, go listen to Walking the Shadowlands podcast because it is the bomb. When I asked Marianne, what does that mean, Walking the Shadowlands? She said that means that you have one foot in this reality, but you also start dipping that other toe into the other reality in those shadowlands. It's sort of finding a balance between the two. And that's what we're doing here together. You guys are my co-investigators and you're here with me on this ride. I specifically talk more on fear in an upcoming bonus episode called How I Was Dubbed the Princess of Darkness. That'll be available only for our patrons on Patreon. That specific bonus episode is about my fear and the message that I received from two entities that came to me in a very unusual moment and explained to me what it means to investigate the dark and to be comfortable with the shadowy parts of who we are and to walk the shadowlands, as Marianne suggests. So... You can listen to her podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go directly to her website, which is walkingtheshadowlands.com. You can also ask to be part of her group if you type in Walking the Shadowlands into your Facebook search bar. Per usual, these links will be available to you in the show notes for this episode as well. If you have any specific questions about Star People or the Men in Black, or if you want to share your own experiences about these subjects, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Thank you for following the Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the Order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a Woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 